0: 2600 came out there was a mad scramble by every kid in my neighborhood to procure one from his parents there was a lot of begging a lot of pleading you would do anything to get your hands on the 2600 at that point most of my friends succeeded including myself in getting one a year or maybe two after they had come out one of my friends didn't get one at all he kept pleading he kept begging Nothing seemed to move his parents. They just didn't believe in video games at that point. As time went on, I guess it finally got into their brain that video games were important enough. They might have realized also that no one was coming over to their house to play with their kid. So I believe it was in 1982 that I got a call from my friend who said he had a big surprise and I had to come over. I figured at this point that he had gotten an Atari, maybe even a ColecoVision. When I got over there was something I had not expected at all an Atari 5200. I had just seen the commercials for them, had been reading about them and thinking, wow, that thing looks awesome. It had this really cool list of games that looked exactly, well, looked very close to the arcade classics, and had this really sleek futuristic looking design. Plus it was Atari, and I was a complete Atari boy. So I ran around the block to his house, went into their family room, and I saw the Atari 5200 system. I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. They had completely jumped from the 2600 to the 5200, and put him way ahead of everyone else in the video game pecking order of our neighborhood, or so I thought. I sat down watching them play. I can't remember what game they played first. Maybe it was Pac-Man, and I really wanted to get my hands on it. So I patiently waited. A few other kids came in. Soda was served. I think it was Shasta. Pretzels were brought out. It seemed the video game popularity that my friend had been hoping for had finally been achieved. Finally, it was my turn to play. I took the joystick. felt very alien in my hand. But I was very excited, and I started playing Pac-Man. 10 or 15 minutes into it, I realized that this joystick was horrible. I was having a very difficult time controlling Pac-Man. He wouldn't go where I wanted him to go. This system was two days old, three days old they had had it, so there wasn't much wear on the joysticks at this point, and I couldn't control it. We switched games a couple of times, they had three or four with every game. My frustration with the joystick control just grew. I could see that the other kids felt the exact same way, but none of us could bring ourselves to criticize this new system. The next day, about half the number of kids showed up to play the 5200, and the day after that, it was just me. I really wanted this system to be good, and I also felt kinda bad, because my friend had waited so long to get a system, and then he had to sit there and watch as nobody came over to play it. The hardware behind the 5200 was solid, but that controller made it very difficult to appreciate any other part of the system. The buttons were on the side, it wouldn't self right About two weeks later, I stopped showing up to play the 5200. My hand was having all sorts of cramps. I had a friend who had an Intellivision, a ColecoVision, I had an Atari. There were just other games I wanted to play. I know that my friend lingered on his 5200 for weeks afterwards, trying to get people to play. He would invite us over, and I would play. Eventually, he even got Joust, and I love Joust. It's one of my favorite games, so I went over and tried that again. But pushing the buttons on the side while trying to flap your wings is very difficult on the 5200. (laughs) On today's show, we're going to talk about the Atari 5200, its history, its hardware, the problems with its hardware, and some of its games. So without further ado, let's start the show. early 80s, the Atari 2600 dominated the home gaming market, but other systems were nipping at their heels. You had the ColecoVision, you had the Intellivision. The Intellivision had a lot of promise, and everybody was buzzing about it before it came out. It was supposed to be a powerhouse of gaming. Then the ColecoVision slipped in, and the ColecoVision, although it had strange controllers, had some of the best games available. So Atari is watching its competition grow, and they're working on a whole bunch of different product lines, and they're building a system to actually compete with Intellivision and that's where they came up with the Atari 5200. The 5200 wasn't what was supposed to originally come out. They were originally working on an Atari 3600 which was known as the Sylvia. They always had code names for everything in Atari in those days. The 2600 was the Stella and the 5200 was the Pam. The 3600 was originally planned to be the successor to the 2600 but it was a 10-bit chip system which programmers found very difficult to program for. So in the end they decided to skip the 3600 and jump right to the 5200. Now, as I said, they were actually trying to compete with Intellivision. Intellivision, when they came out, besides having great games and a really interesting system, they touted their joystick, which had 16 positions of movement compared to Atari's 8. So they had double. So what they thought with the 5200 is that they would give full motion control, which means they would have a 360-degree analog controller, the controller that they eventually came up with would turn out to be the Achilles heel of the Atari 5200. Besides the joystick, the Atari 5200 itself was pretty powerful. It was based on the architecture of the Atari 400-800 computers, which brought 8-bit computing power to the video game system. The thing also looked really cool. I mean, it was large. But it had this really interesting wedge shape, which was based on the Atari 2700, or the RC Stella, which was supposed to be a remote-controlled... Atari 2600 unit that never came to market. The 2700 influences on the system could still be found in the side-mounted firing buttons that were very difficult to use and the non-self-centering joystick, which would turn out to be a very big problem for the system. It also had a whole bunch of new technological breakthroughs that made it a killer system at the time. The system featured four controller ports as opposed to two, which would become a standard feature on next generation systems many years later. As I said, the joystick had its problems, but it was also very powerful in many ways. It had a numeric keyboard, it had two firing buttons, and it had game functions built right into the joystick. On the joystick you could start, pause, or reset the game without having to get up and go touch the system like you had to do with your Atari. The 5200 also had an automatic RF box. Now if you had an Atari or any of the earlier systems you might remember that when you wanted to switch your Atari on You had to go up, you had to reach behind your television set, and you had to slide a little box up and down to switch between Atari and television. With the Atari 5200, this switching was automatic. It's a technology we take for granted nowadays, but they were the first to do it. This RF box also connected to the power supply, so you only had a single cable running out of your 5200 towards your television set, which made for a much cleaner and much easier to use system that didn't clutter up your family room. The 5200 was also special, in that when you turned your system off to change cartridges or unplug the cartridges, the screen went black, as opposed to showing static and blasting your ears with horrible feedback. The silent black screen was a major advance for the time, and was only found on the Atari 5200. All of these advances were great for the system, but the Atari 5200 was very bulky, so the engineers started working on a slimmed-down version of the system which would be called the Atari 5100 or the Little Pan. The 5100 would have a two-port system, would have no storage facility for the controls, it would also have a standard RF box. The system never came out but although it might have been smaller it would have been a step down from the technological advancements that the 5200 had made. I think it would have been better if they had just concentrated on those joysticks. A little fun fact about the naming of these systems. So I said the nickname of the 5200 was the PAM. All the Atari systems were nicknamed after females who worked in the Atari offices. The PAM was rumored to be considered as a serious contender for the name, because not only was it catchy, short, it could also be the abbreviation for the personal arcade machine. You got to admit, it just sort of rolls off the tongue. The 5200 seemed to be a response to Intellivision's success early on, and its touting of its great controller and joystick, but the Intellivision itself didn't do so great. What had been rising was the ColecoVision, and the ColecoVision had a really interesting controller that was also very difficult to use, and like the 5200 had the side controllers. Come to think of it, those controllers actually had a lot in common. So the ColecoVision had great games like Donkey Kong, things that looked so much better, and was selling very well. When the 5200 came out, although it was meant to go head-to-head with the Intellivision, it turned out that it had to go head-to-head with the ColecoVision. And there was a completely different set of rules for going head-to-head with the ColecoVision. It wasn't about the hardware, necessarily, although the hardware was powerful on the ColecoVision as well. What it came down to were the games, and the ColecoVision had them earlier. And a big problem with the 5200 is they didn't come up with an adapter so that you could play your old Atari 2600 games right on the 5200. The ColecoVision beat the 5200 to market with an adapter so that you could play your Atari 2600 games on the ColecoVision. So there really wasn't an incentive if you were a Atari 2600 owner to buy the 5200 at the time. You had this huge glut of games that people had been buying for the 2600 that were just rendered useless. A lot of people opted for the ColecoVision because it came out earlier and was something new and different. Now although it was an upward battle against the already ensconced Calico vision, the big problem with the Atari 5200, as I've said time and again, and I think most people would agree who've owned one, was the controller itself. Now the prototype of the controller was actually based on a yoke and gimbal mechanism, like you would have in a remote-controlled airplane kit. It gave for very smooth, linear control and was very reliable. But when it came to production time, they decided to go with a very different design on an analog joystick which used a weak rubber boot rather than springs to provide centering. Another big flaw of the controller was that the design did not translate into linear acceleration from the center through the arc of the stick travel which made control very awkward when you tried to play it. The controller also had a tendency to lock up and fixing the lock required the mechanics of the fitting to be very loose. This gave the joystick a very mushy feel when you tried to use it. The story goes that the guy who developed this joystick had never actually played a video game in his life, and although test marketing and all the feedback he got from other engineers said, no, no, let's not go with this joystick, they still moved forward with that. I think I read that even a petition was passed around trying to get the head of engineering to release the 5200 with any other type of controller rather than the one that they came out with. A contributing factor might have been the culture of Atari itself at the time. They rewarded people who came up with ideas that could be patented, and certainly this new joystick was something they could patent. So an internal directive for a company culture could have influenced an endgame product that everyone was in strong opposition to. Although the joystick was a mistake, that doesn't mean that Atari did not try to mend the problem. They instantly began work on different controllers for the system. They had a joystick that was very similar to the 2600, they had a cleaned up version of the controller that came with the system. But all these came too late to save the system because the very next year it was discontinued. What they did do right was the Proline trackball that came out for the 5200. It was this massive piece of hardware that worked really well on games like Centipede. It felt very much like an arcade controller and that probably had a lot to do with the girth, which was laughable at the time because it was almost as big as the 5200 itself, and when you had it sitting on your lap or on the coffee table, it just dominated wherever you put it. Once you had this giant trackball, you needed to use it as often as possible. So here are a list of other games that worked with the trackball. Super Breakout, Space Invaders, Real Sports Baseball, Real Sports Soccer, Pole Position, Missile Command, Millipede, Kaboom, Galaxian, and real sports football. Here is a technological overview of the Atari 5200. The Atari 5200 is essentially a console version of the Atari 8-bit computer. The functions of the system were divided up between four integrated circuit chips. Chip 1, the CPU. The CPU in the 5200 is a modified 6502 processor. The big difference was that Atari's version of the CPU had extra hardware that allows the Antic chip to take over the bus to do direct memory access. Chip 2, Pokey. Pokey's main job is to generate sound and to perform a variety of other miscellaneous functions. The Pokey chip has four separate channels, and the pitch, volume, and distortion values of each of these channels can be controlled individually. Chip 3, Antic. Antic was the 5200's graphic coprocessor. Antic had direct access to RAM, where it read a special program called the Display List, The display list told Antic exactly how to draw the display, and then sends information to the GTIA, which generates the actual video signals. CHIP 4, the GTIA. The GTIA's main responsibility is to generate the video signals to the TV and to handle sprites. End technological overview.
1: Greetings retro fans, this is Metagirl with the top 5 rarest games for the Atari 5200. Get out your wallets, boys and girls, because you won't find these games at the bargain bin of your local flea market. Number 5. Atari's Gremlins, which goes for $65 on eBay. Number 4. Parker Brothers Frogger 2, 3 Deep. This game, about everybody's favorite green hopper, will cost you some green. It's currently $119 on eBay. Number 3. Activision's zen you can find this gem for $159 on eBay. Number 2, Electric Concepts Meteorites, which will run you $239 on eBay. And the number 1 rarest Atari 5200 game of all time is Big 5 Software's Bounty Bob Strikes Back, which will cost you quite a bounty on eBay as it currently goes for $769. And there you have it, the Retroist's top 5 rarest Atari 5200 video games of all time. This has been Metagirl.
0: So the hardware had its ups and downs, but a contributing factor to the demise of the 5200 was its games. Now here's the problem. The games for the 5200 were great. They had a lot of arcade classics. Pac-Man, Dig Dug, they had it. You name it, they had it. In all, 70 titles were officially released for the Atari 5200 super system. The problem was that these arcade classics had been being released on other systems for a couple of years now. They'd been on the 2600, they'd been on the ColecoVision, and although they might have looked better on the 5200, people were still getting tired of playing them at this point. Maybe if Atari had the foresight to release the adapter so that people could play their 2600 games and then had decided To try to create new games for the 5200 instead of pouring their resources into the 2600 games that they were still making. It might have been a different story. But unfortunately that's moot because the release of the system coincided with the video game crash of 1983. So the new system comes out in 82. By 83 Atari is hemorrhaging money and they decide that the 5200 really isn't worth the investment. To the 5200's credit it was actually beating ColecoVision in total sales. At the time of its cancellation, the 5200 wasn't out long enough to have a big influence on pop culture, like other game systems like the Atari and NES. But it did have one notable inclusion in pop culture. The 1984 movie Cloak and Dagger, which was directed by Richard Franklin. It was a remake of the Don't Cry Wolf 1949 movie The Window. In it, a young boy, Davy Osborne, who was played by Henry Thomas, lives in a fantasy world. Where his imaginary friend, who looks a lot like his father, played by Dabney Coleman, is a character called Jack Flack. Jack Flack's a secret agent and the star of a video game by Atari called Cloak & Dagger. So the Atari company had heard that they were making a movie and they had another game called Agent X at the time and decided, oh, this would be a good opportunity to do a tie-in. They got together with Universal Pictures and collaborated and they made the video game a part of the plot in which... The kid finds an Atari 5200 cartridge, plugs it into a system, and needs to play the game to advance the plot. You see they hid the plans to a secret spy plane on the 5200 cartridge. So the cartridge and playing the 5200 is a very important plot point. The story in the movie becomes sad, but it's also very heartwarming. The kid has to come to terms with the loss of his imaginary friend as he grows up, and at the same time manages to get closer to his father. So Dabney Coleman, who plays his father, and Jack Flack merge back into one character in his mind, and he becomes the most important person in his life and someone he's close to again. When I was a kid, I I really enjoyed this movie, especially when it got into rotation on cable. The idea of tying a movie to a video game was part of a short-lived phenomenon at the time with movies like Tron and The Last Starfighter. It's definitely a trend I would love to see return to movies nowadays. If you watch the movie, you'll see a cloak-and-dagger video game for the Atari 5200. Sadly, although they were working on an Atari 5200 cartridge, it never was released. So it's a fake, what you see. Even the mock-ups of the boxes and stuff like that are all fake. The game that they're playing in it is actually the arcade version of the game piped into a television set, which is why it looks so close to the arcade version. I remember watching this movie and then wanting to go over to my friend's house to play the cloak and dagger for the 5200. And he kept telling me, there is no cloak and dagger for the 5200. And I kept yelling at him, why are you such a liar? Why do you want to keep these secrets away from me? Let me play your cloak and dagger. Well, it took about a year, but eventually we became friends again. So it was kind of misleading. You get this great movie that promises this great video game, and then it turns out, The video game never comes out for that system. Still, I really enjoyed the arcade version of this game, and I suggest if you have the opportunity to play it, that you do. The 5200 might be long gone, but people still out there love their 5200 systems. You can go to eBay and pick yourself up a 5200 and then buy a multi-cart, which includes all 70 of the official game releases and some extra prototype games. Or, if you want to cut out the middleman and not get a hardware solution, you could always go for emulation. A great emulator for the Atari 5200 is CAT 5200. CAT 5200 is an open source solution that you can download at code.google.com slash p slash CAT 5200. That's K-A-T-5200. As for the ROMs, you might want to drop by Atari age, or you could probably just do a Google search and find some of your own. As for a joystick, you can either use your keyboard, or like me, I like to use my Xbox 360 controller. It works really good for emulation in general. It might not be a perfect solution for playing Atari games, but it's a low-cost solution for helping to keep the dream alive, and sometimes that's really what it's all about. Well, that wraps up another episode of the retroist podcast thanks for listening for more retro fun drop by the website at www.retroist.com you can also follow me on twitter i'm at twitter.com retroist retroist you have an idea for the retroist email it to me at retroist at retroist.com thanks to metagirl for her top five list this week if you have an idea for a top five list email metagirl at metagirl at retroist.com thanks again for listening and i hope everyone has a great weekend
1: Joysticks. This has been a retro production. Goodbye.